Welcome to the Renee Frazier Show. Why women? Today we're going to be talking about the issues we face in business as women and as men leaders. On this show, I like to dive deep into issues that we find ourselves placed in the middle of. And today, of course, the most prevalent and most highly aware situation we're in is the consequences of the pandemic. And I think it's time for all of us to reflect on how we operate as leaders, how we operate as business people, how we operate as people. The uh, pandemic has made us all aware of some of the systemic situations that exist in our country in terms of access to healthcare and who actually provides the services we get, those essential workers who are on the front lines throughout the pandemic and still are. And I think many of us have stopped to realize how fortunate we are to be able to work from home. And the work from home phenomena has, of course, affected productivity and work. I think many of us as business people are in an interesting quandary. As a result of work from home, there's been an enhancement of productivity and higher profitability in most businesses. But that productivity comes at a price. And the pandemic has increased mental health issues, a sense of isolation, anxiety. We're going to talk a lot about those things today. I wanted to cite some statistics from a McKinsey study last year. They talked to thousands of workers across the U.S. 49% indicated they were at least somewhat burnt out. And 30% said if they were forced to go back to work full-time on site, they'd look for another job. They wouldn't do it. So we see people have gotten accustomed to working from home and the flexibility that provides. I'll, I'll end with one last statistic, because as a company myself with about 30 employees, I've been asked, when will people have to come back to work and will it be full time? I think it's always going to be a hybrid model in the case of Fraser Communications, and I suspect many companies are looking at hybrid models. I know we do advertising, marketing, communications for clients like Lexus and Hyundai, Jonathan Lewis Furniture, HealthNet, and the state of California, as well as the Department of Public Health. When I ask our leaders and those organizations, they talk about a blended model with a couple of days in the office. And in this McKinsey research, it indicated that 50% of the workers said they would be willing to work at the office two days a week. They'd like to be home three days a week. And that was even higher for people who are parents, as you might expect. So the workplace has changed and we as leaders have to change and we have to adapt. And that's why I was fascinated by a book, a new book coming out called New World of Work, Radical Adaptability. Radical Adaptability. I have on the show today one of the authors, Keon Gohar. Keon has a very interesting background. He's a futurist, an entrepreneur, and clearly an innovation strategist. He's, believe it or not, as we all adapt quickly, we are innovating in our own businesses. Keon is founder of Geolab, which is an innovation collaborative based in Los Angeles, He's also a founding executive director of IPP, which is an ecosystem for corporate innovation. And they've done uh, joint ventures with XPRIZE Foundation and Singularity University. Keon really believes in innovation. He and I have had the opportunity to do a World Affairs Council presentation. And now we're going to take a deep dive into 
his book and his insights, helping us understand how we as leaders may need to adapt in this world. And of course, as you know, why women is my theme. I'll also be looking at it through the lens of, as a woman leader with emotional intelligence and what we can all learn from that as we guide our businesses for growth in this new era. Welcome to the show, Kihan. Thank you, Renee, for having me. It's a pleasure to join you. I, I think we'll start, as I did before, asking you why you've written this book, what the circumstances are, and the amount of research you did, especially talking to executives. Please give us the background. Yeah, sure. So if you go back two years, almost to the beginning of the pandemic, um, everybody was locked at home. And uh, America's uh, largest companies, smallest companies, everybody was trying to figure out how to lead when they were stuck in lockdown. And so we started a, um, a, a movement online to bring together uh, America's leading um, executives so that they could help crowdsource uh, from each other what was working in what company and how somebody can learn that and apply that in their own company. And so this was the beginning of the spring of 2020. And then very quickly afterwards, um, we had the, uh, the summer of racial justice and we realized very quickly that the world of work was never going to be changed, was never going to be the same again. And so my co-author and I, Keith Ferrazzi, dear friend, um, wanted to find out what were companies, small and large, doing to be able to pivot to this new environment that we were living in. And so we started a research project with Harvard Business School. And over the next 18 months, we interviewed over 2,000 executives, entrepreneurs, uh, CEOs, change makers, leaders from all walks of life to better understand how they pivoted, what did they do in their teams, in their organizations, what were the best practices. And we decided to record that so that we could help um, inspire others to learn the best practices from this research. With 2,000 executives being interviewed, you certainly got a, a broad spectrum of opinions. And I know that uh, there are a lot of insights as a result. I'd like to talk about the theme of one of the chapters, which is collaboration through inclusion. And I'll have to start, though, with one of the statements that you've made, Keon, that we as leaders should be looking for outcomes more than presenteeism. Right. We have to accept that if our folks will get the work done. We have to trust them. And I have to say, I, as a business owner, I've had my company 23 years and I can remember conversations with the senior leadership team about letting people work from home. And some of the department heads saying, I don't like that idea. I'm not sure they'd be working all the time. I'm not sure we get the results. And I'm saying, well, you know, if they aren't working there, what makes you think they're going to be working at their desk? Uh, you know, they could be, uh, you know, looking on Facebook and Instagram. And we all know most people do their shopping online from their workplace anyway. It was hard to accept. Then the pandemic happened and we were forced to accept, right? People working from home. And lo and behold, Instead of driving for an hour and a half in the morning, they get on their computer earlier. They work late at night too, with some of their ideas might come. So we got more hours. So it's really not about presenteeism. It's about outcomes, right? And you've seen that too, as you look at ways people collaborate. Give us some thoughts on how to do collaboration in this environment with work from home. I think, Renee, you're absolutely right. The pandemic changed all of our assumptions about how we work, how we live, how we socialize, how we communicate, some for the better, some for the worse, and some yet to be still seen what the impacts are in the long term. And um, one of the assumptions that the pandemic made us 
revisit is how we collaborate. And we learned in our research that collaboration isn't about where you work, but rather it's how you show up to work. It's not the physical distance that matters between you and your colleague in an office or a cubicle. It's the social affinity distance that matters. And so uh, we found that the most powerful, most successful teams in um, our research were able to minimize this affinity distance and the physical separation wasn't an issue. And so they were able to have very high performing teams because they were able to collaborate in new ways. Now, we've had to rewire our brain um, and really to think differently about how we collaborate in a virtual world rather than just walking down the hall and popping your head into someone's office and asking a question. All of that requires us to be very purposeful about how we communicate and how we collaborate. And that takes energy, that takes time, but the end result has been that we've seen tremendous success from companies. For example, Dow Chemical generated 80% more leads in terms of their business in 2020 than they had ever had before because they started collaborating online through their sales organizations and their partners. So there were great success stories of people taking this model of online and virtual collaboration, but it required you to step back and say, what really matters and how can we design the processes that will get us those outcomes that we want. Yeah, I think purposeful is the key word there, right? I, I, we are going to talk in the next segment about some real tactical things people can do to increase that collaboration. And I like the idea of the word inclusion. You know, that's very popular with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I, I know that's included in this, but this is really literally inclusion at all levels, which is also important. You're listening to the Renee Frazier Show, and we're talking with Kihan Gohan about a book that looks at radical adaptability, how we can lead and succeed in this new era. It's interesting. Kihan has shared with us the fact that we're not going back. It's never going to be this, the way it was. We used to talk, well, when are we going to get back to normal? Hmm, not going to happen, right? And when are we going to get to a new normal? Well, that's still being redefined, right? Many of us are looking at hybrid. So the key to this show is what can you do as a leader in this environment? And Kihan, I'm going to ask you to talk in our next section more about collaboration and some tactics people can use. I think all of us have learned that Zoom is probably the easiest way, whether it's Teams or Zoom, to bring our groups together. But what can we specifically do to enhance collaboration? I read a statistic that 74% of people feel uncomfortable talking in a group setting. And how do we get those people to share and give their ideas and make them feel included? It's easy when you can walk down the hall or stand by the coffee machine and it's one-on-one. But when you're on the spot in a group meeting, it's hard. So listen in for the next section as we talk about what can you do to increase collaboration in your company in this new world of the pandemic. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Renee Frazier Show. Welcome back to The Renee Frazier Show. We're talking about radical adaptation in this new work environment we're in with the pandemic. And I have an expert on who's written a wonderful book that shares with us some very practical insights on what to do. Each chapter has four things, you could, three to four things that you can do to act on in your business. And I have to admit, this pandemic has really thrown me as a CEO 
Uh, I'm used to having all the employees in the agency, being able to walk around and talk with them, feel like I can make connections. And now everybody's remote. In fact, some cases, employees are in Hawaii, Israel, uh, India. And it turns out when I listened to Keon, I realized that's a good thing because it brings new insights and new perspectives. But boy, it's harder to manage. And uh, it's like, I don't know what to do, right? I, I have to figure out every day something new. And there used to be like a handbook for being a CEO. And, you know, once you've done it for a few years, you get your, you get your stride. But boy, it's all changed now. And Keon, we were talking about collaboration, how important that is and how hard it is during a pandemic. Give us some practical ways we can bring out that 74% of people who don't really feel like sharing in a group session. What do you recommend? Yeah, I think this issue of uh, challenges you face on the upside and the downside of collaboration in a remote world um, is very real. Um, we are no longer limited to the exact geographic neighborhood that we can rely on to find the right talent. And so this digital world has allowed us to hire people for projects around the world and really tap into the genius of people everywhere. So for small business owners, uh, I think it's actually a great thing because it gives you access to talent that you may not previously have had. But on the flip side, like you say, Renee, it is more difficult. We, we've had this roadmap as a CEO for a long time. And if you've done it, it's pretty, pretty standard. And now we're asking you to rewrite that roadmap. And, and what we wanted to do with this book was to really help design what that roadmap can look like for the future. And so you brought up this important point of how do people feel uh, included? Now, um, I've seen many companies who have had um, all town hall meetings on Zoom or on Teams. You know, they've invited 100 people or 500 people, however large that audience is. And those are important, um, uh, you know, important sessions for the organization to get the message across. But oftentimes it tends to be a one-way communication between the CEO or the, or the senior leadership and the rest of the organization. And so when we talk about maximizing collaboration and inclusion, what we mean by inclusion is um, in all different regards, getting everybody's voice heard. And when you're typically in a physical office and let's say you have 20 people around a, uh, a boardroom table, it's off. It's rare, actually, that every 20 person uh, speaks his or her mind. You sure. have some people who are more uh, willing to share and then some are more reticent. It's just natural part of being extroverted versus introverted. What we found was that this dynamic also still carries on, especially even more so when you're at a, in a large Zoom meeting with, let's say, 100 people. And the key to break down this silo, the key to break down that statistic, that 74% you mentioned that are hesitant to share, is to actually break out people into very, very small rooms of, let's say, three people maximum. So Zoom, Zoom allows you to go into Zoom rooms, and you can allocate the number of people in that room. And I've seen organizations with hundreds of people actually start um, 100 different Zoom rooms with three people in them each. Wow. And three is the magic number. And the reason for that is because it creates a sense of intimacy and psychological safety for people to start sharing um, personal information about how they're experiencing that particular task. And the concern they have of sharing their voices in a larger environment goes away. So you do this in a small Zoom room of three people and you spend you know, the majority of your meeting doing that. And then you invite them back in to the larger meeting and you can you ask again for their opinion. 
And what we found in our research is that the level of drop-off in terms of people not willing to share in the larger meeting versus the smaller meeting that they were just in only goes down by, by about 15%. So all of a sudden, you have now all these voices that you've been able to hear in your organization that previously you wouldn't have heard because people some, some people were shy and others were more introverted or they didn't feel comfortable speaking. This is what we mean by maximizing inclusion. Everybody comes to the table with a different set of experiences. And so how can you get everybody's voice in the company to give you opinions about how to do something? Now, you as a CEO might say, whoa, that's too much. I can't handle that. That's just too much like input. And you're right. You have to be able to um, think about and systematically sort through these opinions and ideas to find that nugget that will really change your business model right. or change your organization. I think the other point you're making, Keon, is those ideas can come from anywhere. Younger people, as we know, think they're equal right? This notion of a hierarchy doesn't apply any longer. And when I say younger, I'm saying uh, Gen Z and, and uh, Gen Y, so 20 to 40 year olds. They really want to be heard and treated as an equal. I use the phrase, they no longer want a sage on the stage. Instead, they want a guide by your side. So if you're going to lead or get the most out of your people, you have to step side by side and not act like you have all the answers or create the perception that they can't speak until you have because you have those answers. And I think breaking them into small groups like that allows them to have a voice in a great in a really important way. Did you see that with your executives shifting for this younger audience of workers? Oh, absolutely. They are so eager to have an opinion and share it, and they will definitely want to do that. And I think some of the challenges that we are generally seeing in this great resignation is that we have a mismatch between what people expect from their work environment in this post-pandemic era and what those work environments actually are. And so this mismatch is allowing people to go find different workplaces that that meet their expectations of how they want to show up to work, whether that means uh, being included in meetings, being able to share an opinion around an idea or a new innovation. And the younger folks are absolutely looking for that. And so what I would say is that for people who are listening to your show, the important thing is that we have to think about how do we bring people who are now having different expectations of how they work with this new environment to the existing workplace that we have. And we have to evolve that so that we are tapping into their intelligence, their passion, their purpose, and we can learn from them because they right. have very different, very different perspectives. Yeah, they have to feel valued. They have to feel really treasured and valued. And, and I think you have to deliberately spend time creating that. You know, in my company, we created a new role. We created the director of employee and consumer engagement. And uh, the gal's name is Molly. She is funny and delightful and everybody liked to talk to her. She was very involved in what we call experiential, where we put on events throughout California and other places to help build brand identity and brand reputation and, and, and make ambassadors out of people, which is, I know, something else we're going to talk about. But I tapped into that and asked her to take this role on. Actually, she came forward and volunteered. And I thought it was fabulous. So that she actually helps me understand what the temperature is, listens to people, brings ideas forward. You know, as much as I'd like to believe I'm, I'm, I'm always listening and I have an open door, people are uncomfortable. 
And I should know that, right? So someone else can bring the idea forward and I can be, wow, that's fabulous. I'd love it. And, and then go back. I think you have to be open to these kinds of changes. A lot of us like to believe we're the best boss possible. And in truth, we probably aren't, right? Do, do many people find that they're wrong about their own self-perception and they have to at least look at changing? Yeah, but that's hard, right? So personal transformation takes a lot of work and uh, reassessment and stepping back. And those aren't things that uh, come naturally to somebody after having led an organization after like two decades of experience um, or longer. And so um, it requires us to really build a new muscle. And that muscle means thinking about new things. And I think it's actually really exciting because it means constant growth and constant learning. And that I think is good because whether you like it or not, the world is going to change. And so how do we keep up with that is by constantly learning and, and, and learning new skills. It's yes. like me wanting to teach my dog, my old dog, a new skill set. Yeah. And he's still willing to do it because it keeps him excited and energetic. And uh, it's exciting for both of us. And so I think it's actually an opportunity rather than a challenge. Um, it's a mindset shift. And so I, for example, uh, over the last couple of years, have hired people to work on my projects all over the world and much younger than I am in some regards and much more technically talented in some areas. And I'm learning from them. I can do it on my own, but that doesn't, it's not a good use of my time. But now I'm able to, with this virtual world, tap into their intelligence. I can understand what works in their work environment and then be able to create that space where we can succeed as a team. One thing I'd like to say here, um, uh, uh, Renee, is that I think it's really critical we think about how do we cross the finish line together. And yes. as leaders, we can say, okay, this is the goal. That's fantastic. And historically, it's been um, a vertical hierarchy of responsibility. But now we're seeing that younger folks are really excited by reaching out to people outside their existing network. And we have to recognize that they are, get inspiration and ideas from that network. So that's how right. do we get that level of intelligence and relationship and bring it into our vertical systems of traditional control and responsibility. Uh, well, it's a whole different mindset shift. And that's something we'll talk about in our next section. You know, there is an African proverb that I love. It was on the airport when I left uh, Kenya on the wall, painted large. And I use it in a lot of my speeches. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so you're right, crossing the finish line and going far, especially with this uncertain future that we have, means you've got to embrace others and let other people be a part of it. You'll get the credit. It, the old-fashioned model, you had to always be the one who got the credit and was the leader. But in reality, in people's minds, you'll get credit for stepping back and leading from behind is what I'd like to talk about. Well, listen, we are going to continue in the next section, and we'll talk also about how to... Uh, kind of reimagine your business purpose. I know you talk about zooming out and zooming in, and we'll talk about what that really, really means in our next section. You are listening to the Renee Frazier Show. We're talking about how the world has changed as a result of the pandemic and how we can succeed and lead better in that world with a terrific expert who's written a book about radical adaptability. Stay tuned to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to The Renee Frazier Show. Today, we're talking about radical adaptability. How do we find ways to be successful, to lead better, 
in this uh, new world that we're in and uh, the changes that are are constantly uh, surrounding us and things we have to respond to quickly as we deal with the pandemic. So we are talking with Keon Goar about the issues that we see in the world around us and how we as, a comp- as, we, as leaders think about our business models. Future-proof your business model is the title of the chapter. So Keon, I want to talk about this idea of future-proofing and rethinking. I, I know you use the frame zoom out. We as uh, CEOs are always supposed to keep our eye on the horizon. Is that what zooming out means? Yeah, it does. And people confuse it with uh, Zoom, the software that we use all the time these days, (laughs) but it's actually a different terminology. Um, I'll give you an example. So uh, about a year ago, Mary Barra, who is the CEO of General Motors, made a radical decision announcement. And she said, um, by 2035, we are going to transition entirely to a fleet of electric vehicles. And um, that was a uh, visionary uh, decision but one that was based in foresight and zooming out. And what she was doing was trying to see where the world is going, where the industry of uh, uh, automobile manufacturing is going, and then figuring out what technologies are going to disrupt her business. Right now, up for the last century, GM has been in the business of creating uh, internal combustion engines for right. cars, right? Right, and our so, normal cars, right. Yeah, exactly. And so she had to step back and say, well, what kind of business are we in? Are we in the business of creating Um, uh, internal combustion engines for cars, or are we in the business of transporting people from point A to point B? Because if we're in the business of transportation, then it doesn't matter whether we're using a gas engine or a different kind of electric uh, engine. And that was a big uh, shift for for this very um, uh, exemplary company of America, which is General Motors. And so she decided we're going to move down to this electric vehicle uh, platform and by looking at where the industry was going by zooming out 10 15 years how the technology was going to impact it and then she said okay we're going to make that decision to move forward so zooming out implies looking out into the future five to ten years thinking about what your industry will look like what your business can look like and then thinking okay let me now zoom back in into the next six to 12 months mm-hmm. how can i I take a small experiment in my team, in my company, that doesn't require a ton of resources, that I can run for three months or six months as a side project and test out if some of these technologies or some of these trends are going to help my business move forward towards this zoom out vision that I think the world is going to. And so obviously, General Motors has a lot more resources to experiment, (laughs) but everybody at any organization can decide uh, how do I experiment? I know in your business, Renee, you're also thinking about how these technologies are impacting your agency, right? That's right, because I'm in the advertising and marketing business. About uh, 50% of what we do now is digital or social media. The rest is uh, more traditional radio, television, outdoor. And uh, as I look at the future, I can see several different arenas. Artificial intelligence, no doubt. That's how we use our digital get our digital ads to the right people now with all kinds of third-party data that people don't even realize we have access to. And then there's also virtual reality, right? Creating a whole other world, the metaverse discussion that we've been having and how do you engage people in that experience? And then there's also other forms of communication that are coming down the pike that we see. And to your point, 
I know our client Toyota sees themselves as in the mobility business, as does General Motors, right? No longer cars and trucks. We're in the communications business, or maybe we're in the connection business, making connections. And it has doesn't even have to have words. It doesn't have to have images. So I have to think out that far. But it's hard for me. Which which technology should I focus on and then take back to experiment with? What would you recommend? Yeah, I think um, one of the beauties is that these technologies are becoming cheaper and cheaper. Um, and everybody's going to have access to some of these technologies like AI. It's going to be um, basically on demand for very low cost that you can use uh, online tools that have AI built into them and just apply them to your individual business. And so it's going to help small business owners do many things faster uh, and less expensively than they would have otherwise and reach new audiences. I think everybody needs to be experimenting with AI. And that doesn't mean you go hire an AI expert to you know, build the greatest next thing for you. It actually means, um, how do I work with existing platforms like Amazon? Amazon has a new AI as a service platform called Personalize, which allows any organization to use the computing power of Amazon and their expertise in AI already to do things faster using the Amazon services. And so I think everybody should be thinking about how do I use some of these AI capabilities that um, if they don't already exist on these on these larger platforms, they will very soon in the next 12 to 18 months. So personalized is what it's called on Amazon. That's right. And it's free to people. Is it for businesses that sell through Amazon? Uh, it's it's uh, it's available to businesses who use Amazon Web Services, which is the cloud platform that hosts all the data that Amazon has. So, you know, we are now able to use buy data from Amazon to target our ads. Mm -hmm. And the Amazon folks will not tell us where the information comes from. But my hunch is they're listening. (laughs) Right. So when Echo, when you say that you're looking to buy a new vacuum cleaner and I've been looking at these different brands and I'm not sure. And I think we should go to Target. No, I think we should buy off of Amazon. Then suddenly you see vacuum cleaner ads in your feed. Uh, so they actually do sell that data to people and we use it. So no doubt that they, they're they experts at artificial intelligence. That's a good example of how to apply it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, in you- my case, I think I'm going to get the virtual reality glasses for four or five employees and let them start to experiment and see how we might apply it to our clients. Yeah, exactly. And virtual reality is not a new technology. It's been around for a long time. Um, It's gained a lot more traction in the last five years because there are less expensive commercial uh, headsets that you can use. And now I'll be very honest, I think there's a little bit of a a hype around sort of the metaverse with Facebook rebranding itself as meta. Right. Uh, Just trying to tap into this 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 trend. Um, so it's been around for a long time, but I think uh, virtual reality has a really powerful tool to help. For example, let's say in the in the in this pandemic era, um, there's been a lot of companies that have used virtual reality as a way to showcase a product to a uh, to a consumer that couldn't go into the shop. So I know a, a big brand of jewelry called Piaget. Um, they have very expensive watches and. Um, they couldn't get people to go into their shops for obvious reasons because of social distancing early in the pandemic. So they actually sent uh, virtual reality glasses to their uh, key customers so that they could visualize in virtual reality what this particular product can look like on their hands. So we are seeing these uh, technologies that have been around for a long time finally come to fruition. And I think there's going to be a lot of 
optimism for how they can help us connect with each other and with our customers better. Well, we have to think about that zooming in and zooming out or zooming out and then zooming in and experimentation. Let's move on to talk about another, the four practices I think that you have in that future-proofing your business model. And one of those was building advocates, making your customers your point of differentiation, right? The way they feel about your brand. Why is that so powerful? I think I know as a marketing person, but I want to hear your interpretation. Yeah, that's a great question, Renee. So when everybody has uh, access to the same main new technologies like artificial intelligence through these platforms like Amazon and Microsoft and elsewhere, what's going to really differentiate you and your business from somebody else? If the technology has given everybody the chance to basically offer the same service or product, how do you differentiate? And what we found is that the most successful teams and organizations have been those that have created a, a, ra- a rabid fan base of community fans, or whether it's employees or vendors or third-party partners who really believe in the particular company and the product and the brand. And that's allowing these organizations to create like a little bit of a moat around their business mm-hmm. so that they don't become as disrupted by these technologies um, as they might be if they didn't have this fan base. I'll give you a great example. So there's this amazing nonprofit entrepreneur here in LA, Rachel Sumek, who is the founder of a nonprofit called Swipe Out Hunger. And her organization is a few years old and they try to um, reduce uh, hunger on, on, on college campuses. And there's about 30% people on college campuses who have uh, food scarcity. And her business was very much on-campus based, you know, in terms of helping people get access to food resources. When pandemic closed everything, she had to figure out how was she going to redesign her business model. She's a nonprofit. And so she tapped into her community of over a thousand fans that had supported her across the country at different campuses. And she convened them online in in weekly town halls and small Zoom rooms to figure out how should we pivot? What should we do differently? And through this process, she was able to develop a new business model that has allowed this nonprofit now to scale significantly more in the last two years of the pandemic. Because yeah, and I want to, I want you to hold the solution and the yeah. answer, and we'll talk about it in the next segment. Yeah, I want to hear how she solved that problem in the pandemic. You're listening to the Renee Fraser Show, and we're talking about how do we adapt in this new world of work that we're all faced with. What are the ways we can, what are the lessons we can learn? What are the things we can apply? And Keon's going to give us the answer of this nonprofit use, which I think involves co-creating. And that's another idea. You know, we can now bring in people and talent from around the world through Zoom and Teams and other operations. So we can get perspectives that are much broader than our own and explore different mindsets, different ways of approaching it. And in this case, the nonprofit leader had to find a new way to develop her business. I think the old-fashioned model is when you go away on a retreat and you think really hard and you figure it out yourself. You paper the walls and you come up with ideas. But what we're hearing from Keon is there's a whole new way to do this in this world. So listen as we explore what are the new ways to rethink your business and you give us the answer Kihan, to how this woman recreated her nonprofit. stay tuned welcome back to the renee frazier show we're talking about how we have to change our businesses as a result of the new world that we're in and the 
fast changes we're seeing. Uh, what this uh, author, Keon, talks about is radical adaptability. Keon, you shared with us a story of Rachel who was running Wipeout Hunger. Remind us, she had to rethink her model. And what was the solution? Yeah, so she uh, used to have uh, a network of 100 different campus-based uh, food pantries and access to food for college students who had um, uh, food scarcity. And when college campuses essentially sent everybody home, that didn't mean that the problem of food hunger went away. It was still a major issue. So she actually leaned in to her community and she hosted weekly virtual webinars where she brought together students, grassroots staff, food policy experts, so that they could uh, ideate every single week and test them. And you said this idea of going away to like a leadership retreat and figuring out what that model was. Well, she did that on a weekly basis uh, during the pandemic to test things out. And then she was able to actually pivot the business. So instead of where she was just focusing on 100 campuses, two years later, now she's over, uh, at, uh, I believe, a thousand campuses across the country. And she wow. creates um, legislation at state, uh, state levels to eradicate hunger at food campuses. And it's because she, she had the... She had the crisis was a forcing function and required her to pivot. And she said, I can either pivot or I can let this organization um, go to dust because of the pandemic. And so I'm going to bring my community in and we're going to jointly co-create these solutions and look at her now two years later, having exponential more impact. I love it. You know, this idea of co-creating and being open to let others come up with the solution Uh I have to say that uh, to me is more of a woman's idea and approach. I grew up in the business environment in the 80s and the 90s, where all I had as role models were men. And, uh, you know, I, I stepped in as the president of a division. I followed men into that role. I was the only woman running a division in the international company. And all I knew was command and control. And you don't ask for help. So in my case, I realized uh, as I as I evolved, that was wrong. I had to allow my true self, which was to ask for help and to share that I needed from other people and use that as part of my style. And now I see that with emotional intelligence. That's the right way to do it. And Rachel did it. You use the term lean in as we do with Sheryl Sandberg, right? Lean in, take charge, be part of it, but ask for others help. And I think so many of us don't think about this idea of co-creating, kind of think like a CEO, I'm supposed to think of it all myself. That isn't the case anymore, right? Not at all. I think uh, Zoom allowed us to peer into each other's living rooms and we realized we were all having similar challenges. And so this veneer of having like this tough upper lip um, as a CEO and never showing vulnerability went by the wayside because we could see you into your living room. This was really yes. not a, a unique situation. And we were all struggling with different kinds of things. And one of the things that I find really fascinating around co-creation and teams is how do you make sure that um, everybody has enough energy as a team to be able to get the job done? We come to work every day with different kinds of of, of let's just call it fuel in the tank. Um, yes, that's right. And, and they could be up or down. You're going to tell me how to figure that out or how to at least connect with that, right? Yeah, exactly. And one great example was uh, Crystal Zell, who is the chief customer officer at Home Depot. And every week um, during the pandemic uh, early days, she would ask her team to rate on a scale of one to 10, their level of anxiety. And it was a great way for her to be able to gauge her team's level of 
Um, how much work are they doing? Can they handle it? And, you know, most people were somewhere in the middle around five, six, whatever. But over time, um, teams, the team was able to recognize if somebody was below their usual average, if they usually said they were like, you know, five or six, and all of a sudden they were at a two, the team stepped in and was trying to help that individual get, you know, to a level where they can get their work done. And that, I think, was a really powerful, easy way of diagnosing how how much energy do you have? And I love this concept that you bring in about um, emotional intelligence. And it is some, to some regards, uh, a more feminine trait and it's so needed. And um, the pandemic allowed us to really tap into that. And it's uh, just a wonderful toolkit to be able to use. I know more about my clients now than I ever did before. You know, I can see their pets. I hear their situation. And I know one of the things in the book you recommend is ask people what's sour and what's sweet in your life. So you can hear what's going well and what's not going so well, and then adapt. Often we feel like we have to have a, a fake veneer, right, of, of perfection in front of us. Uh, and this has made that fall apart. And I, I guess we get credit, right, for being that open with people. 100%. Um, in our research, we found that 71% of teams feel like that they don't have the level of trust um, in their teams and that their teammates weren't looking out for them. And the reason for that is because that there is no sense of inclusion and there's no sense of belonging. And by creating um, a space, by asking a very simple question, what's sweet in your life, what's sour in your life, it gives people the context for them to understand what's going on in their teammates' lives. And some people might say, well, you know, I don't want to confuse work and personal life. I'd like to have that boundary. But when we're living in a world where we're looking into each other's living rooms through Zoom, there is no more boundary. And so the more context we have for what's challenging in your life personally, and it could be so, as simple as like, hey, I couldn't, my kids had to stay home from school today for whatever reason, right. you know, childcare, that stressed me out. And now that gives your teammate a context for what's going on that day for you. And it doesn't give anybody excuses, but it creates an opening for you to have more empathy to then be able to help each other get to that level of energy you all need to successfully complete that project. I think it also is important as a CEO. I had a conversation the other day with a head of research. Her son was home from uh, school because he'd been sick at school and I was worried it was COVID. She didn't think so. He came into the picture and he has long hair. <clears throat> she had told me that they had gone for a haircut the other day. So I complimented him on the haircut and how much I like the bangs. Of course, his mom had told me she thought they were a crazy idea. But I tried to at least show that I, I knew what it was like to be a mom and have your child at home with you and told her, of course, let's call this. Let's cut this call, call short so you could go and play with him. He had created a ninja course for her. So she was going to be running around the living room, you know, and outside. And I thought that was great. I think when we, we let our guard down and let people know we're human, they give us more than 100 percent. Right. They come back on the other side with productivity and loyalty. 100%. We're all human. And I think that's what the pandemic made us all realize yes. that we, yes. we, we are human and we have, uh, we have sometimes thick skin, sometimes thin skin, but we all come to work with, uh, with, with this, this characteristic of uh, we want to do our best. We have the best intention, but sometimes other things get in our way. And so how can we help each other uh, succeed? That I think is really critical from the research that we found that the teams that were most successful. Let's talk about purpose. I know one of the chapters is supercharger purpose. And uh, my firm does communications and we focus on 
communications that will do positive things in the world and make people happier and healthier. When we select our clients that way, you talk about supercharging your purpose and tell us why that's so important. I think um, the most important thing about purpose is that it creates a single sense of uh, why you do what you do. And so I'll give you an example. There's a company called Indeed, which is a hiring marketplace. And their purpose is that we help people get jobs. Everybody at that organization, tens of thousands of people, from the CEO all the way down to receptionist, knows and can recite that purpose. We help people get jobs. And when you know what your purpose is and your and your organization is living those values, it allows you to really um, make decisions that are significantly better for you when crises hit. And so you all of a sudden are faced with two or three dilemmas and you say, well, I'm not quite sure which one to, to choose. And you step back onto your purpose and say, well, why are we doing that? And then that'll help you actually make that decision. So I'll give you a very quick example. Back in March, 2020, they, the CEO called an all company meeting, 10,000 people. And um, uh, he, he did his talk and at the very end, um, on a on an employee chat uh, platform, the most important question that people had was, well, what are we going to do about the 250 folks who work in our cafeteria and our catering? They're not indeed employees, but they're third-party employees. What's going to happen to their jobs Uh-oh. when we were no longer in the office? Right. The fact that everybody was concerned about these cafeteria workers, even though they weren't employees, goes back to their purpose. We help people get jobs. And so in these kinds of situations, it falling back on your purpose helps you make better decisions, inspires more people to work with you, to come on the journey with you, and inspires um, a level of, of, um, of, of collaboration that is otherwise not possible. You're absolutely right. You know, having a purpose for your business, a nobler end is going to take you very far in terms of recruiting and retention. Younger people want to hear that. And to our point about creating advocates, I wanted to make a point for our listeners. Social media is where people are getting most of their information these days. And that's where they get a reading on your company or your brand or your restaurant or your store. So be sure you cultivate those relationships. And one of the ways of doing that is creating a higher purpose, giving back to the community, living through your values and demonstrating those in everything that you do and sharing that with your customers. Don't be afraid or embarrassed to talk about how you give back to the community and donate. Well, this has been a great conversation, Kian. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the book. I want to remind people that you also have a video series people can sign up for. Tell them about that as we close off the show. Yeah, absolutely. There's an eight-part exclusive video series that talks about all the lessons in the book, um, and you can access that if you go to the website radicallyadapt.com. Again, radicallyadapt.com. And um, you can access the video course by just uh, showing some proof of purchase of the book. Anywhere you buy, it doesn't matter. Um, And it'll walk you through all of the chapters and best practices that we learned over the last two years of research. I think it's a great recommendation. I hope people will pick up the book. There's a lot of practical advice in it. It certainly has helped me. I am definitely going to do these breakout sessions with three people in the group. I'm also going to experiment with new technology by zooming out and then experimenting with it inside. And I'm going to use that question, what's sweet and what's sour in your life, to find out how people are doing and and see how much they're willing to share so I can be more empathetic 
and show that uh, emotional intelligence. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate learning from you, Kihan. I want to thank our listeners. This has been the Renee Frazier Show. Why Women? Thank you for listening. Tune in next week, Wednesdays, KABC 790.